0: The following program is brought to you by Total Theater Online. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff or management of WGBB. You're listening to the station that serves your community, 1240 WGBB. And now it's time for Dave's Gone By with David Lefkowitz.
1: Well, there goes the neighborhood. Welcome, everybody, on this March 3rd, 2005 to the 117th edition of Days Gone By. An hour of comedy, talk radio, and music heard every Thursday night at 7 on WGBB AM 1240, live streaming on the web at AM 1240 WGBB.com, and then streamed in a vintage way on DFSXRadio.com later in the evening. Tonight's program lots of fun in store. First of all, The spring Broadway season is just about upon us. It's been relatively quiet since late December, as it generally is this time of year. All the producers hibernate in Florida, and then they come out when the groundhog sees the shadow of a marquee on 45th Street. But there have been a couple of shows opening during the fallow time, and since I am a theater critic, in addition to being a journalist, humorist, and talk radio god, I figured it was about time to do another round of reviews. And since I generally do those in debate... I called on my good friend Charles Gross to help me out and banter with me about Broadway. Charlie is the co-host of Two on the Isle on Manhattan Cable Television. He's also been a freelance critic for several newspapers for many years. I've been on his show several times. He's been on this program as well. And we always have a lively, fun, unpretentious conversation about what we've seen, what we've liked but we haven't, and what theater is all about. So tonight, Charlie and I will review Little Women, the Broadway musical starring Tony winner Sutton Foster, the new Donald Margulies drama Brooklyn Boy, the Beach Boys musical Good Vibrations, and the Broadway return of Dame Edna. Should be a lot of fun, and if that weren't enough... We also have the news gone by, a look at current and local events in a Jimmy Kimmel, John Stewart, Tina Fey kind of way. Tonight, stories about the White House Press Corps, a blind man who wasn't bluffing, NASCAR, the Pope, a penis, and an iceberg. Need I say more? But there is more, including the one and only Rabbi Saul Solomon giving his thoughts on what seemed to be The Last Days of Pope John Paul II. So everybody, stay tuned. Though I should caution that, as you can probably guess, not all the content is appropriate for everybody. That's why the show is rated DGB 13. Under 13, not admitted without begging. But everybody else, come one, come all. It's a theater-rific show for you, and it all starts right after this. WGBB, the place for you and me. We're one big family. And let me make one thing clear. There's so many shows to hear, like Joyce Keller, the Radio Psychic... Wednesday's 11 p.m., she's one fine uncanny Chick. And then there's Mike Shamari's Instrumental Invasion. Thursday's at 8, it's Sweeping the Nation. And Friday's at 6, if you can't get a date, there's Bonnie D. Graham telling you how to mate. Saturday nights, the Mikey and Jimmy show. For rock and roll comedy, the place to go. And make sure to listen on Sundays, too. At 7 p.m., it's Joe Salzo's Worldview. So many programs on 1240 AM. If you have half a brain, you tune in to them. Yes, WGBB is the place to listen all week long. Joyce Keller, Wednesdays at 11. Mike Chimeri with Smooth Jazz, Thursdays at 8. Long Island's Dating with Bobby B. Graham, Friday nights at 6. Mikey and Jimmy, 5:30 on Saturday nights, and politics on Worldview with Joe Salzone Sundays at seven. So if you love Dave's Gone by, give these other shows a try. They serve your community. High. If you listen, you'll know why the groovy and that's no lie. Dave's gone cultural. Dave's gone cultural. Dave's gone cultural. Ooh. Dave's gone cultural. Dave's gone cultural. Dave's gone cultural. Dave's gone cultural ooh. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 WGBB in Freeport, New York. In this segment, Dave's Gone Cultural, which usually has to deal with a theater. We are going to deal with a theater with a very special friend of mine who's been on the show, I think, at least twice, maybe more than that, and I've been on his program a couple of times. He has a show called... Two At least twice. At least... Twi- oh, there. He's jumping in there even before I've introduced him. Thank you very much, Charlie. Keep going. Keep going. I was going to say that you have a program on Manhattan Cable Television called Two on the Aisle, which is co-hosted with Jeff Goodman. It airs every week on Friday nights at 8. Actually,
0: every other week, but that's...
1: Oh, that's right, I'm sorry. Every other week on the Manhattan Cable Channel, what is it?
0: Channel 57.
1: Channel 57. You can also watch it on the Internet if you go to uh, the MNN website. We'll right. hear more about that in a bit.
0: www.mnn.
1: Why don't you just take over right now? You conduct the interview. I thought you did the rest. Charlie Gross. I didn't even get to say your name. Charles Gross, who is co-host of Two on the Isle and you see pretty much everything on Broadway, a lot of stuff oh, yeah. off Broadway, too, and we've both seen a bunch of stuff that we can argue and, and yell and, and agree and disagree about, right. so let's get right to it. Let's, okay. A um, couple of, you know, this is a relatively slow time for the theater in New York. It starts to get heavy again as we get into the spring, but there have been a few things opening, including Little Women. Oh, um, yes,
0: Little Women. A musical. Well, I think this show has three things going for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, first of all, it's based on the book of the same name. Uh, second, you've got uh, Susan Strowman directing it. Mm-hmm. And the third would be Sutton Forster, Sutton Forster, and Sutton Forster. Well,
1: well that's, that's three things right there. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, total five. This, yeah. the,
0: one, the one conclusion you come to after watching this show is that if it wasn't apparent during Thoroughly Modern Millie, it is now Sutton Forster is a bona fide Broadway star.
1: Absolutely agreed. And, and she did win the Tony. Yes. Uh, uh, for Best Actress for Thoroughly Modern Millie and she probably she'll certainly be up for a Tony nomination I would this think time so. again whether she'll win well, obviously you know, there, the there's still 10. quite a bit
0: of the season to go yeah. so
1: that's but what did you think of Little Women As had you read the book at some point I actually have never read the book no. me neither I'm a guy <laughs> men do not want to read Little Bloody Women or Little Men the sequel by Louisa May Alcott I guess I will now yeah. that I've seen the show and I've seen the movie mm. With, uh, you know, Winona Ryder and all those people. Oh, yeah, and wasn't there an earlier one with uh, Catherine Hepburn? Yes, okay. yes. So, but this was really the first time I paid really close attention to the story, cause, uh, even though I saw the movie not too long ago. Right. Um,
0: I actually have never seen any version of it. This, this was my first exposure So what did, you think? To
1: it. what did you think? Well,
0: I'll tell you something. I liked, I liked the story. Mm-hmm. I adored Sutton Forster. Okay. Um, there's uh, some very nice uh, numbers in the show, mainly one... Uh, Joe, uh, by the way, is an aspirin writer. This takes place around the time of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it four sisters, five sisters, four sisters.
1: Anyway. Well, eventually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's four down to three or five down to four, one of the two. Yeah,
0: um, and their father is away fighting the Civil War, so they're at home with their mother, uh, who played uh, very nicely by Maureen McGovern. Mm-hmm. And it shows them growing up. Uh, the spotlight is on Joe, a bit of a tomboy, who uh, wants to be a writer. And that, that is the role Sutton Foster plays so beautifully. And one of the highlights of the show is when one of her stories is being reenacted on stage.
1: Yeah, they, they do that pretty much at the very beginning of the show. I and mean, there's also an extended... Part of that at the beginning of the second act, exactly. where she's mining the story and also it's all happening behind her, and it's very, very fun. She is funny. Yeah. I want to see her in a farce. I'd love, um, to. I'd, that, I'd love that, to
0: see her do something with her brother, Hunter Foster,
1: who was year in Urine Town, and he's he's very talented as well.
0: Right. I mean, I think, you know, but he, also, Urine Town Little Shop, he was yeah. in Little Shop last year, and more recently, the producers, I think they're the uh, most talked about brother and sister on Broadway since *Spread and the Dollar Stair. But get, getting back to Little Women, mm-hmm. I like the story, I enjoy the acting, um, but I found the score to be very bland. I mean, he, nothing wrong with it per se, it's just not very exciting.
1: Considering, I considering yeah. And considering well, Alan Lee did the book, and I, and I don't even remember Marcia Dixing, I think, did the book and lyrics, or I, I don't have the playbill in front of me, but I, right. I would remember it if I really wanted to. Yeah. Um, that That is the problem. You're sitting there, and it's not that the, the score is so bad. No, but not it, bad. You're just sitting there, and you're like, I, you know, it's not really advancing the story, and I'm not going to be humming this, or remembering this, or I'm not going to be clamoring for the original cast recording, which is what you used to do you know, for the great old musicals.
0: Exactly.
1: I mean, in the old days, you'd have these musicals with wonderful songs, and the book was like, eh, you know. Mm-hmm. And now more and more, we're getting... Musicals with good stories, even if the book kind of is iffy, the story itself is usually based on something um, right. like Dracula, let's say, or or, some, or Tom Sawyer. And now the music is just sort of there. Yeah. And it's being carried along by the story rather than by the tunes. So kind of, kind of a shift there. And, and, I, and
0: I have nothing wrong with a show being carried by the story. It worked incredibly well in She Loves Me, but that's a show with an incredible score. score yeah. This is a show... Again, it's not that there's something. There's nothing wrong. It's just you know, it, it's like um, one of the Joe Sello border says about her story. I believe you're capable of doing better in the first act, and to the writing team of this show, I am sure they I, they are capable of doing better,
1: and nice. I wish they had. Nicely put. Nicely put.
0: Um, also, Maureen McGovern, an actress and a, a singer who I really adore, uh, has been saddled with such a dull role. I mean, if you've ever seen her in her nightclub acting, and, and you know she's got an incredible range in her voice, mm-hmm. and she barely gets to use any of it. I mean, I'm glad she's on Broadway, right. but I wish she were in a, a role that better utilized her talents.
1: You know who would have made an even better Marmy? No, that's the character she plays, the mother of, of right. all these uh, kids. You know would have been really great? Mm-hmm. Dame Edna. How's that for a segue? <laughs> I know, well, a I don't segue, know, but, uh,
0: uh, yeah. given uh, the way Dame Edna's children have turned out...
1: <laughs> well, Dame Edna is back with a vengeance. She has two kids, by the way. Uh, one, the, the wonderful Kenny, and what's her other... Um, it, it's a daughter. A daughter, yeah. Yep. Who is who's, who's the other uh, sexual preference, so we hear. But um, let, let's explain. Dame Edna is back with a vengeance, literally. That's right. the name and of her Amanda return. Dame Edna is the
0: um, creation of the uh, Australian actor Barry Humphreys. Right. And, uh, he is by far his most popular creation. She has been back on Broadway before. That's why it's called Back with Vengeance. Mm-hmm. Uh, first show was a good show. Uh, the second show is so much better.
1: You I know, just I agree. It's it. better, but why?
0: So, I think she's just in such wonderful form. And her material is excellent.
1: You know, when I was watching the first act, I was thinking, you know, it's it's funny. I wasn't really laughing out loud mm-hmm. a lot. I was enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And I figured, okay, it's going to be pretty much like the first one. Mm-hmm. And then it was in the second act, which I think a couple of things just happened to make the show overall a lot more fun this time for me than it was last time. One is she did not overstay her welcome. No. I remember uh, in the in the first show, it was about two hours and 40 minutes long, which is a long time for a one-person show even if they have a couple of helpers and a pianist and stuff like that. It's
0: a fabulous Edna Ednaette. Edna Edna Edna. oh.
1: How about that blonde Edna Ednaette? Was she a knockout or what? Huh. You didn't notice? Oh, <laughs> they, they all look pretty cute to me. And, and if my wife is listening, it's not that I noticed, but the people around me noticed and have me write it down. Of course they did. <laughs> but, uh, but this time, it was about two hours and five minutes long, mm-hmm. which surprised me. I was like, oh, my God, he finally got the hint. Yeah, that you know, you you leave them wanting more or having just enough, and that really made a big difference. Plus, the audience interaction—I don't know if it's this way every single time—but when he got that uh, that young couple up on stage mm-hmm. and had and called her mother-in-law or yeah, her mother-in-law, his mother—and mm-hmm. um, gave them a little romantic moment on stage, hysterically funny. I'm
0: also they, they do uh, the movie um, the, a movie of the week the Dame Edna story
1: <laughs> that, was, that wasn't that was as funny but that was still cute and, and there was so much goodwill already at that point mm-hmm. and I appreciate it more this time the fact that yes there's obviously a very set bunch of um, themes and jokes and stuff that she does but she really does tailor it every single time to what's going on and to who's in the crowd and, and it it I I had a lot more, not that I didn't have respect before, but of just how different each show probably is. Yeah. And how she has to move all the stuff around and change the order of things and and literally think of jokes on her feet.
0: But you you will be waving your gardenias at the end of this show.
1: Gardenias?
0: That's her... Trademark flower, isn't
1: it? Mm, um, no. Huh? Gladys. 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 Gladys, oh, dude. Sorry. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. May
0: the dame forgive me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and, and may the dame forgive me for ever questioning um, just, just how good yeah. Barry Humphreys and Dame Edna is. Yeah, this,
0: this is, I think it's def, definitely better than the, than the first show. Well and worth it. Definitely a, worth it. Delightful. Delight to see. In fact, all in all, I think I've had the most fun of that show than I have at any I, I I just can't call it a one-person show because it's got her... Uh,
1: chorus, but people, yeah. more or
0: less, I liked it better than uh, Marion Cantone. I liked it better than Billy... Even then, Billy Crystal's an actor I admire very much.
1: I wouldn't go that far. I thought Billy Crystal... Billy Crystal stayed too long, but apart from that, it was magnificent. It, it,
0: the Crystal show had a little more meat on the bones. That was meant yeah. to have a more dramatic Ed is just pure comedy.
1: Absolutely. And, and speaking of comedy but of the unintentional variety <laughs> I wonder uh, here's another segue I don't I do this so smoothly I, I am impressed I can, am can you feel impressed. the good vibrations that I am ooh, putting out through, ooh, 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 ooh. through...
0: <sighs> well no doubt two you're segues
1: and one switch Yeah. are supposed
0: to be talking about good vibrations the new Beach Boy musical yeah. Musical, rather, which comes on the heels of Basically, we have a new genre in the theater. It's called take a rock group, take their songs, and uh, find some sort of story about it and put it on stage. And it worked incredibly well for ABBA with... um,
1: Not incredibly well. It worked worked financially. It's it's, it's a big hit
0: with uh, Mamma Mia. Why? I will never understand why that show is still running. Fair enough. Uh, Also, Billy Joel, a composer and performer I admire very much uh, with Moving Out, Mm -hmm. uh, which I was highly disappointed with.
1: Um, I was not a big fan of moving out either. I found it very repetitious. Yeah. But then again, I'm not a dance person. I've heard people who love dance find a lot more to it than I do.
0: I enjoy so, good dancing yeah. also. I, I didn't enjoy that show at all. Okay. Um, even I love... Now, the Beach Boys, I happen to love their music. hmm And I'm watching this show, and, you, you know, you had mentioned one of Dame Edna's chorus. You have to look at the first number. There is this one actress. Unfortunately, I don't have the playbill with me, so I don't know her name. But she is known as Bikini Girl.
1: Is she tall and blonde? That's
0: the one. Yeah,
1: okay. I, I, the people dancing. around me noticed her. What? The, the people around me couldn't take yeah. their eyes off her.
0: Ne- neither could I. <laughs> I mean, you know, she's doing these 60s dances, get the girl a cage.
1: Uh, and uh, that's
0: pretty much after that she kind of fades into the chorus. Just
1: give she, me the king to cage, if you know what I'm saying. But, you know. And,
0: and she is in a bikini for a good part of the show. Yeah. Now, this kind of starts off like an alternative version of Greece. You know, what if Danny and Sandy didn't hook up until after they graduated from high school?
1: Well put. I did think of that. Essentially,
0: yeah. this, it takes place sometimes in the, ni- in, in the 20th century, mm-hmm. given that there's Beach Boy music and uh, someone drives a Mustang in the show. I, I assume it's the latter half, say anywhere from 1964 to 1999. They're purposely vague about this. Yeah. And this high school, somewhere in the Northeast... Probably New York. Or, graduating, it felt
1: like mid, like Midwest ish to me. But okay, well, okay, yeah.
0: it, it was supposed to be in the Northeast. Because oh. you'll notice, it decides to go to California, and basically there's the school cool guy, and there's this nerdy um, girl, who, who isn't
1: who's you know if she takes her glasses off she's not nerdy at all like nobody notices. Duh. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, you know,
1: one of those. All right. So it's a convention. Basically,
0: she's she's had a crush on him for years, and he really hasn't cared about her, you know. Right. And it, it, it's a pretty horrible plot at the beginning. Then they start going to California.
1: And it gets worse.
0: <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And and somewhere along the line, the, the plot ascends to the level of, say, a Frankie and Annette Beach movie. Okay. <laughs> because I happen to like Frankie and Annette Beach movies. I, I kind of was drawn into it. They took they okay. a few curves, which I wasn't expecting, enough to make it interesting for me. Okay. Um, I like the music. They They go to California, by the way, and... The show's big technical highlight is that they they're driving in their pretend car and someone is projecting the road from California to New York to California <laughs> on the back of it. You know,
1: I have to tell you that mm-hmm. sequence, which what? starts with that, that sequence that yeah. starts with projections, and then there's this very surreal mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, it's only about half a minute long, mm-hmm. but it is so funny, it's so clever yeah. that it makes everything. You start to wonder, wait a minute, if they could do this mm-hmm. in this show. It was something worthy of Forbidden Broadway at its very best. Mm -hmm. What the hell were they doing, you know, the other two hours and 20 minutes?
0: Proving that in California, even a nerdy class valedictorian can be popular if she can fill out a bikini.
1: Well, yeah. (laughs) But you know what? I can can stand the stupid plot, but it was just... The the first thing that turned me off immediately Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. that, especially in the first act... Mm -hmm. they mic'd everything so loud. Mm -hmm. The music, first of all, I don't even know if there was a live band in there or if it was all pre-recorded music or a combination of both? Well,
0: given the the mic troubles they were having, the sound troubles they were having the night I was there, I'm pretty sure it was not pre-recorded.
1: Okay, well, yeah, they didn't have sound trouble, but it was just so unbelievably loud and caustic, which is not how you want to hear the Beach Boys. I mean, I know it's rock and roll, but it was about the delicacy of the harmonies. It was about the beauty of all the instruments and the arrangements that Brian Wilson was doing. And suddenly, it was just this cacophony. You couldn't hear what the singers were singing as they were trying to shout over the music which is, is not good I don't think sound. you were there
0: on the same night oh really? so what
1: was your your problem was just bad um, well what happened on your night uh,
0: there, there was some interference you know you'd hear like a feedback or crackling or something like that
1: <laughs> WGVB <laughs> I, I
0: actually My I, Escalada's Greek show I actually, God only I,
1: knows what I, be, yeah.
0: no, I, I actually um, heard it pretty well and there were actually words that I've heard that I've never heard when I've heard the Beach Boys <laughs> sing it oh, so maybe they got their act together
1: yeah. I just I wasn't impressed with the singing by a lot of people. I thought it was a little off mm-hmm. or, or off key. Um they have a yell. Yeah, I didn't I didn't care for the lead guy. I thought he was a nothing of a, a blend. It wasn't special in any particular way about him. He wasn't a mm-hmm. great dancer singer personality. I don't Kate, know, you, you, you get know.
0: the impression that these are talented people but that more needed to be done to bring out their talents in this show.
1: How much much do I bet within three months, okay, Mm -hmm. show closes, Kate Reinders goes into the Kristen Chenoweth role in Wicked? (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha.
0: The the one who plays the the nerdy girl. Yeah. I I, I would not, well, I don't know about the show closing, Mm. but um, she could certainly play that role. I mean, she's kind of a combination of Kristen Chenoweth and Sally Field. Yeah, okay. She's absolutely delightful. She She is. She's nicely. Um, I enjoyed her character. I have to say, I think you made some valid points, Uh, although, again, the sound system was better on the night I attended. Fair enough. Um, My beef with the show, the the plot is actually turned out to be pretty much what I expected, the second act making
1: up for the first act.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Did you catch the Baywatch reference, by the way?
1: No, oh, you mean when she runs across? Yeah. And, that was cute. I mean, at that point they were just throwing anything in. Yeah,
0: but it worked. I mean, that, listen, yeah. that's how they did it with the beach movies. And again, those those were not high art; they were silly, but they were fun. And this show is fun. The one thing that I think it lacks, you know, I'll, I'll agree with you to a large extent about the singing, although, you know, it they are wonderful songs and they did reasonably well. Could have been better, okay. but it wasn't. You know, bikini girl notwithstanding, I yeah. wanted to see more dancing. I mean, this is oh, great like dance music. And I wanted to see a little more creativity with the choreography.
1: You know, I I agree with that. I don't know how much more they can be because a lot of the the kinds of songs, especially the surf music, were sort of the same. Um, You you know... How much else can you do?
0: I think if you have the right creativity. Good point. You you know, you don't have to stick with surfing. You you know, you don't have There, There was a lot more that could have been done. And given that this is a Broadway show, it could have been. That said, I really enjoyed the show. It's not great art. But for what it is... I enjoyed it and if I were to have a choice between going back to see that,
1: yeah,
0: or seeing Mamma Mia or moving out, this would be hmm.
1: my choice. I would probably ooh, interesting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would probably go moving out Mamma Mia and then this. Mamma Mia was also too damn loud and it was also stupid, yes. but there was a more winning kind of stupid. It it seemed like they they were more confident in what they were doing, and it wasn't so incredibly like, okay, we'll think of some reason to throw the song in, then we're going to throw the song in. Oh, on the contrary,
0: I think they they pretty much, uh, on plenty of occasions,
1: did that. Even along the lines of, like, when they do Caroline No, one of the the prettier songs in the the Wilson uh, Canon. And he's saying, you know, where did your long hair go? I mean, she's got long hair! Oh Taylor the 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 book to the Songs at least. Do something. Um, you know, where's the girl that I used to just eh eh. Cabaret. These are magical words conjuring up a universe of great entertainment. If you want to know everything about what's happening on the stages of New York, you need to get Performing Arts Insider magazine. For 60 years, Performing Arts Insider has been a bible of the industry. It tells you when shows are opening and closing, what they're about, who's in it, Designers, writers, composers, contacts for producers and managers, box office info, parental guides, everything you need to know if you care about theater, opera, and dance, too. As the chief editor of Backstage put it, Performing Arts Insider is who, what, where, and when, all the facts at your fingertips. For more information, how to subscribe or get a sample issue, Call 516-295-1511 or go to www.totaltheater.com and click on Performing Arts Insider.
0: Hi, this is Charles Gross from Two on the Isle, and you're listening to Dave's Gone By at AM 1240 WGBB.
1: Anywho, one more show. We've got a uh, you know, couple minutes left. What did you feel, and especially since, you know, I was born, this is not a very particularly good segue, I'm just going into it like crash bang, uh, I was born in Brooklyn.
0: Well, actually, David, here's your segue, you know, at the end of the show, yeah. some of the characters come back east, oh, really? end up in New York City.
1: And maybe some of them ended up in...
0: Brooklyn! Brooklyn, yes!
1: And they but became but Brooklyn did you just boy. say
0: that you were a Brooklyn boy, David?
1: Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I lived in Brooklyn until I was 12 and a half. I didn't know that. Yeah, then, then moved out to the island. So I am a Brooklyn boy, almost the Yeshiva Bucha, Ooh. which you would understand. And um, so have certainly a, a frame of reference for Donald Margulies' mm-hmm. new play called Brooklyn Boy, which is at um, the Biltmore, because Manhattan mm-hmm. Theatre Club as is putting that on, on Broadway, mm-hmm. with, um, I want to say Alan Arkin, but it's no, not. No, it's, Adam, it's, Adam Arkin. it's his son, Adam Arkin, mm-hmm. who,
0: and Adam, if you're listening to this, why
1: wasn't your TV show "Busting Loose included in your credits? Oh, I remember that. That was his first uh, breakout. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, he stars as um, this this middle-aged man whose marriage is going to put The one good thing he has, and, and he also has a father who's dying of cancer, and he never got along with the father because the father's treating him like dirt. Mm-hmm. But he's written this book. It's his third book, and this is the breakout one. This is the one that's going to be the one people remember him for. It's a masterpiece. It's a populist right. book it's about book. his life, veiled through fiction. Mm-hmm. And so he's becoming a famous author and going on writing tours, but also coping with every other aspect of his life that's changing and or falling apart. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of Brooklyn Boy?
0: What a snooze fest.
1: Oh, really?
0: Weak. Okay. Oh, I first seen Anna Markin talks with his father in the hospital. Second scene, Anna Markin talks with an old childhood friend he sees in the hospital. Third scene, he talks with his wife, uh, who I think appropriately um, starred in um, 30-something, which is also a very talky, very slow-moving show.
1: Well, I like 30-something, and and Polly Draper is very good at it.
0: So did my wife, but... uh, you know, I, I never did, and I, and I didn't like this show either. As Then he's in California, and he's got a groupie in his bedroom who's real cute, and the show kind of perks up because she's a very interesting character. Um, I still missed about five crucial minutes of that scene, I think, as I dozed off. And then I turned to the person who, I, who was sitting next to me, actually uh, the director of Two on the Isle, and I said, what did I miss? He says, I have no idea. Wow. So, I mean... Okay. There there is, I guess, an interesting story in there, but it's so muddled, and it is so slow, and uh, the only scene I really enjoyed was when he's in this uh, Hollywood producer's office, and they get this um, actor who wants to play, basically, Adam Arkin, and he seems all wrong for the role.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Although he does a good... I mean, I guess that's the magic of theater, but when he finally shakes off yeah. the, the stupid little, you know, young boy um, yeah, he, in Hollywood he, he guy. he can pull it off. He, he can pull it off. That's one of those good kind of things in this play, uh-huh. where it, it is going where you expect, and then for a moment it kind of goes somewhere special. Yes. But at the same time, you know, I, I did like it, obviously, more than you did, but I, I agree that it's missing something. There's a lack of newness, and a lack of energy to an extent, and it, it just, it just kind of sits there. You know, it's not bad. There's nothing, there's nothing I could particularly point to and say that's wrong with it. It doesn't get particularly stupid. It just we've it seen it, it all it before.
0: It doesn't go anywhere. It's not. There's no real story here. I mean, what is this guy looking for? What does he want? What's what is what happens in this play? Nothing really.
1: I mean, the idea of the play is I think is coming to terms with the death of his father and the way his father treated him all those years. But, I mean, I think that, that's... That, yeah. If
0: that is there, that is so subtly buried. I and mean, His father doesn't even die until the second act.
1: Right. Well, you don't, that, that, the, the other problem I have with the scene is that they have a scene, mm-hmm. two characters, one of them being Arkin, mm-hmm. and then the other character goes and doesn't come back. Yeah, I mean the father does come back in a way at the end, but he's he and the old best friend are the only ones. It, always, it seems like a collection of one-act plays, essentially, themed yeah. around this one character. Rather, yeah. yeah, rather than like a play that's really put together where everything's, you
0: know, all together. There does not seem to be any connection. I agree. But I think I think you've hit it right on the head with that. Uh...
1: Maybe you'll you'll agree with me on this: is that like, a play was. like this ten or fifteen years ago would have been done at the American Jewish Theater or Jewish Repertory Theater, which are both now you know, defunct. Mm-hmm. But they were in these little off-Broadway spaces, mm-hmm. and usually the plays that were in them were not terribly exciting. For Maybe it was just the space or the direction or something. And I mean, they were usually good and well-written, but there was a certain kind of, eh, an over-familiarity with the form, perhaps. And I think this would have been more comfortable there, and we would have accepted it there more, than we do in a fairly large Broadway theater for a play, like the Biltmore.
0: It's entirely possible that a more intimate setting might have helped. Uh, to me, having a large theater wasn't a problem.
1: It was just the the that Yeah, well, the it problem. was just playing. Well, Charlie Gross, is never a problem to have you <laughs> on the... That's a nice little segue. That was a way. good segue, by the way. Remind yeah. people when you're on TV...
0: Well, if you're in New York, Channel 57, 8 o'clock every other Friday. Mm-hmm. If you are not in Manhattan, mnn that's Mary Nancy Nancy, dot org, O-R-G, and you click that at 8 o'clock on Friday, and then you click on 57, and you will see Two on the Aisle with myself and Jeff Goodman. And if you uh, see it March, you may, you may just see a very popular Long Island radio host guest starring.
1: i um, really? show you. Yeah. Who who could that be?
0: Oh, someone you know and love very dearly, someone I know you have a great admiration for, David.
1: Imus? No, no, God, no, <laughs> no, 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 no,
0: me. I didn't but, know I
1: didn't know Imus was on Long Island. Uh, every once in a while, who knows? He's a New Yorker. You,
0: you, you've been you, you've been on the show many times. I mean, you, you're yeah. kind of like the uh, Joan. You know, Johnny Carson just saw you're kind of like our Joan Rivers. Or... <laughs>
1: Well, actually, Johnny Ben you know, Jones fell out. But, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm well, kind of the, the pitching. Well, we're still within. at the part
0: where we still like you. I'm
1: the Paul Schaefer. You know, I hey. sort of come in there when Dave has heart palpitations or something. <laughs> Anywho, thank you, Charlie. Thank you so much. I, I look forward to seeing you on the aisle and in the neighborhood. Okay. Jimmy, did you go home and write a thousand times, I will not disturb the class? Here, Mrs. Bitchfarb. Barb. Jimmy, you were playing softball last night. How'd you do it? Easy. I went to Hewlett Minuteman Press and made copies. Hewlett Minuteman Press? 1315 Broadway. they copy everything at a great price. I couldn't even have it found and laminated. Jimmy? Yes, Mrs. Bitchfarb. Look what I found. A receipt. oh Here's your change. Oh! 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 Listen to me. Listen closely to me. That's right, buddy. Listen to me anytime you want to because Dave's Gone By episodes are preserved on Compact Disc. Entire shows with nice cover, track listings, own your favorite shows, or give a Dave's Gone By CD gift. Dave'sGoneBy.com has an episode guide, and you can order there, too. $14 for CDs, 12 for cassettes. Shipping included. Buy more. Get a discount. So go to Dave'sGoneBy.com, get a CD, and listen to me. Darling,
0: listen closely to me. Wake up the
1: global village! Get a TV, I want to tell everybody, news, news! The TV and the news of the world. My radio's on, the news is all bad, but it's good to relax. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. It's time for the news gone by. A look at world and local events of the past week from a winterized perspective. In political news... The White House press corps is all in a tizzy over who's being allowed into briefings. The hubbub started when Jeff Gannon, real name James Dale Gluckert, asked an incredibly loaded right-wing question of the president about Social Security. The question took a direct swipe at Democrats, a move that shocked other journalists in the room, who at least professed to be objective. Turns out Mr. Gannon, nay Gluckert, was a pretty low level web blogger working for a majorly conservative Republican magazine. And thus the hand wringing began. How did this guy get press credentials? How did he make it to the inner circle? And how come President Bush managed to call on him more than once over the past couple of years? The answer is that press credentials are not a secret. It's not a skull and bones journalism society. And I think rightly so. If your background checks out and you're not a threat to national security, you should have the right to ask the president a question, no matter who you are. If the press secretary gets into the business of vetting journalists by how big their readership is or how partisan their blog might be, that's a very dangerous slope towards censorship. Leave the reins loose. And the worst that happens is some nutso asks an embarrassing question that the president has to laugh off. I can live with that. And how do you tell which is the imposter? The one who is not a legitimate journalist? Well, you look for the reporter who asks easy, softball, obvious questions that play right into the hands of the president's flax and lackeys. Oh, uh, wait, that's what all reporters ask these days. Never mind. Did you know that it's a crime to sell sex toys in Alabama, Texas, and Georgia, too? In those three states, a first-time offender selling a vibrator or other novelty item can get a $10,000 fine or up to a year in prison. And this isn't one of those ancient, misogynist, homophobic laws on the books from the 1940s that no one's bothered to change. This is last Tuesday. The Alabama Court of Appeals refused to overturn the law, making it illegal to sell, quote, any device designed or marketed as useful primarily for the stimulation of human genital organs. Unquote. Does does that mean they have to stop selling the sports illustrated swimsuit issue over there? But seriously, Alabama Attorney General Troy King His name sounds like it should be on a vibrator. Troy King told Reuters the Supreme Court ruling, quote, stays out of people's bedrooms, and that it was really a way of making sure sexual devices were not sold in places like department stores and Tupperware-style house parties, because, of course, that only plays into the hands of the terrorists. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Lawyers for the ACLU say the ruling makes no sense and conflicts with the Supreme Court's wise decision in 2003, to strike down sodomy laws in Texas. In fact, prior to the appeals court decision, a federal judge ruled in the Alabama sex toy case and said that people have a constitutional right, and this, this is a quote, a constitutional right to use sexual devices like vibrators, dildos, anal beads, and artificial vaginas, unquote. Wouldn't you have loved to be there for the reading of that decision? Please rise for the Honorable Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Okay, what's on the docket? Can Walmart sell Vanessa Del Rio nipple clamps and Ron Jeremy stay-hard cream? What do you think, Justice Rehnquist? Well, I have no problem with the erection goo, but the clamps could constitute a physical danger if improperly used as a torture device. Any thoughts, Clarence? Clarence? damn! there's a pubic hair on my astral glide. Speaking of sexual legal news, jury selection was completed quickly in the Michael Jackson child molestation trial. The panel is made up of four men and eight women of a wide age range. Racially, the breakdown is seven whites, four Hispanics, one Asian, no blacks. In fact, if the lawyers detected even a hint of black skin, it was removed, a process that, ironically, Michael Jackson perfected years ago. Also in entertainment news, Sirius, the satellite radio network, has announced a $10 million deal to broadcast NASCAR auto races starting in 2007. The move is seen as counter-programming to the rival XM network, which has a similar contract with Major League Baseball. I don't know. I understand some sports on the radio. Baseball, football, even hockey, with all that passing and checking going on. But who's going to listen to auto racing on the radio? Ten million dollars for this? You know what that is going to sound like? There's a car. There's another car. Only 300 more miles to go. There's a car. In religious news... You know, we've all been feeling sorry and kind of empathetic towards the Pope because he's so old and he had that health scare a couple of weeks ago and now he's had that tracheotomy to help him breathe. You figure if God really liked him, he wouldn't make him suffer this way. But, hey, the Pope has also lived a long time and he keeps on going like the Energizer Turtle. And I'm being flippant about John Paul, not just to be acerbically hip, Although that would be reason enough, but because weak and fragile as he is, he's still limber enough to cram his gnarly old foot into his drooly old mouth now and again. In his new book *Memory and Identity: Conversations Between Millenniums, Pope John Paul the Third rails again—is it the third or the second? Well, it's one of them. Rails against abortion and gay marriage. Nothing new, except the viciousness of his analogies. He likens the termination of pregnancies to the extermination of Jews in concentration camps. The Vatican spokesperson defended that passage in the book, saying the pontiff was merely trying to point out that evil can lurk, quote, even in liberal political systems, unquote. The Pope also saw diabolic intent in politicians who lobby to legitimize same-sex marriage. He writes in the book, quote, it is legitimate and necessary to ask oneself, if this is not perhaps part of a new ideology of evil, even more insidious and hidden, which attempts to pit human rights against the family and against man. So basically, what the Pope is trying to say is that two men, or two women, who love each other, and want to settle down and build a life together, destroys the fabric of family. But, a million nuns and priests, who have taken vows of chastity, They can never get married, and then they give advice to the rest of us about sex and marriage. That's good, sensible family values. And think about it. Aren't priests, like nuns, married to God? And since God, in the Christian Bible, is referred to as the Father, a he, since man was created in his image, that means all these priests are married to a man. Every time a priest prays, he's sending a valentine to his husband. And forget, you know, when he kneels to take the sacrament, that's just sodomy without the pubic hair. I say, let's get the Pope out of those red and white bedsheets, pop him into a muscle shirt and short shorts, take that tube out of his throat and pop a galois in his kisser, and then get all the priests out of their starchy black cassocks and put them in black leather chinos and sailor caps. We dump them all on Christopher Street where they belong, where they can be truly open in their fetishistic worship of a male deity, where they can express their homoerotic longings freely in bookstores and novelty shops instead of in the rectory with nine-year-old boys, and when Pope J.P. finally kicks the bucket and they elect a new newlywed, instead of setting up a puff of white smoke, how about some bubbles, confetti, and none of that dreary organ music, I'm thinking village people, maybe some pet shop boys. Now, he can keep the Pope mobile. That thing was pretty cool, but pop a couple of condoms in the glove compartment, because if that cardinal the pontiff has his eye on finally says yes, he ought to be ready. Now, you remember that old cartoon by S. Gross? The one showing a man with dark glasses and a cane, and a seen eye dog lying on its side nearby. The guy held up a sign that said, I am blind and my dog is dead. Well, Pretty sick, but here's something sicker and real. A Scottish blind man was arrested last week because, quote, he sank his teeth into his guide dog and kicked her across the road. Reuters reports that 34 year old David Todd is facing animal cruelty charges even though the animal sustained no injuries. Asked why he tortured his dog that way, Todd said, Dog, they told me it was a barking car. Speaking of animals in compromised positions, Kraft Food announced last Friday that they were halting production of their popular Trolley Roadkill Gummy Candy. That is the name of it, Trolley Roadkill Gummy Candy. Little jelly confections shaped like squirrels, chickens, and snakes after being flattened on the highway. The problem wasn't that they tasted bad, but that they were in bad taste, at least according to the New Jersey Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, a typically humorless band of activists who threatened to boycott the candies, start a petition drive, and generally make life irritating for Kraft Foods. Kraft can't afford the bad publicity because they're in the middle of a deal to sell Trolley and some of its other candy brands to Wrigley's. But shame on them for wussing out, and shame on the animal cruelty people for attacking a non-problem. Have we gone so far with politically correct nonsense that people can't tell the difference between real dead animals and dead animal candies. And this is crap, don't forget. Does their country time lemonade have actual lemons in it? Does their Velveeta cheese have cheese in it? So what makes you think their gummy squirrels would have squirrel in them? Kraft promises there's no real roadkill in their gummy candies. The Oscar Mayer hot dogs, they don't promise, but still. (laughs) Just kidding. In fine arts news, performance artist Rita Duffy is fundraising for her next project in 2008, when she hopes to tow a giant iceberg from Norway to Belfast, Ireland. The iceberg would then sit in the harbor and... Melt as a symbol of something. Duffy says the event is intended to help heal the psyche of all those violent years in Northern Ireland. Of course, the bad taste part of it all is that Belfast is where they once launched a little ship called the Titanic. And related news: Christo was so inspired by this idea that he plans to create a similarly themed work. He's going to airlift a New York skyscraper to an airport in Pakistan and then smash the building into two airplanes. And finally, it just wouldn't be a true news gone by without a story from the New York Post's Weird But True column. Tonight's weird item? Victoria Ed of Sweden told authorities she opened a bottle of ketchup and found inside a human penis It's disgusting, she said. How did this thing end up in a ketchup bottle? A spokesman for Heinz replied, At last, the 58th variety! And that's the news gone by. For March 3rd, 2005, please send your comments, criticisms, and Troy King dildos to Dave's Gone By. P.O. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. The address is on the website, davesgoneby.com, but feel free to jot it down now. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062, or email me at By at AOL.com. I read every letter I get, and some I read on the air, name withheld upon request. So please do write to me. You don't even have to buy anything, although it would be nice, but just saying hi, commenting on the show, giving me feedback. It's really priceless to me. So send me cards, letters, gifts, telegrams, whatever you want. But please, if you're sending me a bottle of ketchup, don't stick a penis in it. You know that belongs in the cocktail sauce. Back after this. And that was new. If that was new. That was very, very, very special news. Sponsor me, Dave's Gone By, run your ad folks will buy. If you want to reach the public, sponsor me. Advertise on this program for incredibly reasonable rates with long-term discounts. See prices at davesgoneby.com or call 516-295-1511. Sponsor me. If you are wise on Dave's Gone By, you'll advertise. If you want to be successful, sponsor for me. Hey, Dave's Gone By listeners! If you like hearing me, you'll love reading me even more! So hurry and get my book, Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World, filled with hilarious plays that were performed in New York like King Solomon the Wise and Blind Date. 232 pages of Pure Dave. Only $20 hardcover, $12 trade paperback. To get your copy, call 516-295-1511 or visit my website. Shalom, God damn it. This is Rabbi Sol Solomon of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York. And this segment is called, Is It Good for the Jews? It is an important question. For some of us, the most important question as it pertains to every aspect of Jewish life. Tonight, the illness of Pope John Paul III. If the Pope goes plop, where does it stop? Now, on the one hand... Pope J.P. has been a fairly benign presence. He stresses peace and cooperation among nations. He's encouraged tolerance and human rights across the world. And he's done pretty well for a Polak. And I can say that because I have Polish blood in me. In fact, my grandfather was a hunter in the old country. We knew he was Polish because one time he had packed his gear and he was driving to the campsite and he saw a sign reading Bear Left. So he went home. But seriously, damn it. The Pope visited Israel. He acknowledged it as our legitimate homeland. He went to Yad Vashem. He denounced anti Semitism. And his visit to Poland in 1998 hastened the end of communism there. It's good to remember that in the old days, popes would start wars, inquisitions, all these deadly political intrigues. Nice to know the current pontiff may be powerless. But he's not a pucks, except on a few things. You can't really expect the leader of the Catholic Church to turn liberal on abortion. But at least allow condoms as an alternative. 25 million people with AIDS in Africa, and you wouldn't let them wear rubbers? Thousands of children starving to death in India. But couples should make more children. Hundreds of babies in this country, abused, unloved, unwanted, unaffordable. But slapping a Trojan on Yashmekel is against God's will? On the other hand, the nation of Israel is a teeny tiny one. Not just the state of Israel, the people. The census says there's roughly 14 million Jews in the world. Sounds like a lot, but that's out of 6.5 billion other people. And our 14 million is shrinking. Except for the Orthodox, who stoop like bunnies. Thank God, else there'd be none of us. And if the conservative and reformed and reconstructionists would put away the condoms for a while, we could build back up to 15, 16 million easy. I don't think we'll ever overtake the Puerto Ricans, but we can pass the goddamn Dutch. And so yes, ultimately, I think this Pope has been good for the Jews. He's sensitive, a poet, an author, maybe because his first name is Carol. Give a boy a girl's name. No wonder he goes into the priesthood. But seriously, I do wish the pontiff a Rafua shlema, a full recovery, which I realize is like wishing Orson Welles would make another movie. But, hey, he's the Pope. Maybe he can call on one of those saints he ordained to do him a miracle. If not... Let's wish him the best on his journey, wherever that is. And should John Paul get up to heaven and discover that, oops, Jesus Christ really was just a guy, and the Jews had it right all along, I hope Hashem will go easy on him. Because as Goyim in dangerously powerful positions go, he's one of the good ones. This is Rabbi Sal Solomon for days gone by. On behalf of my wife, My dear wife, Miriam Libby, myself, and our 18 and a half wonderful children. Well, 16 are wonderful, too, I'm not so sure. I wish you health and happiness from every one of me to every one of you. (laughs) ¶¶ What do the letters DFSX stand for? They stand for Dave's Gone By, that's what, because DFSXRadio.com is rebroadcasting vintage episodes of Dave's Gone By every Thursday night at 8 and 11 Eastern Time. So you hear me on GBV and then listen to me on DFSXRadio.com every Thursday night at 8 and 11. It's all the Dave you can ever want, kind of. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. Just enough time left to thank my special guest, Charlie Gross of Two on the Isle on Manhattan Cable TV, Rabbi Saul Solomon of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York, our fine sponsors, Hewlett Minuteman Press, the Kings of Copying, and Performing Arts Insider, the Emperor of Broadway magazines. Thanks, as always, to my sweet and wonderful wife, Joyce, and to all of you for listening. Remember that I am back at 9 with an hour of music on Filler Up, and you can hear older episodes of Dave's Gone By tonight at 8 and 11 by going to my website, davesgoneby.com. Next week... More Broadway, my guest is Alan Anderson, author of The Songwriter Goes to War. It's a book about how Irving Berlin created perhaps the biggest Broadway musical of all time, This is the Army, which had a cast of 300 all-of-them soldiers. And when the show finished its Broadway run, it toured Europe in 1942 quite a story. That's Thursday night, March 10th at 7 o'clock Eastern. Until then, don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz. Good night, good vibrations, and gone by. I, I love the red, and the way the sunlight plays upon her head. I,
0: Gentleman, on the wind that lifts her
1: drifting through the air, I'm picking up her the visions she's giving me.